Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Friday, March 4th, 2016. I am not in the Beantown Athletic Studio today. I'm recording this podcast from my home in South Boston, Massachusetts. But today's show is still brought to you by Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now. That's BeantownAthletics.com. Or give them a call at 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. And make sure you tell them I sent you. So I was having a little bit of a transportation issue this morning. I was not able to make it into the studio, my normal studio in Dorchester. Uh, so I'm here in my home in South Boston It's really the benefit of having your own microphones and podcast equipment when you've been doing this show for about 10 years. And really, where I began this show is from my apartment at UMass Amherst, and I brought it back here to my home in South Boston. So it's not like this is something completely different uh, and something that I'm not used to. I've been used to something like this for a long time, uh, but I've been in that Beantown Athletic studio for a little over a year now, uh, but I was not able to make it in today. That doesn't mean I wasn't going to bring you this podcast. I do this every weekday. You can subscribe at dannypicard.com. Also, it's on iTunes. If you don't have an iPhone or an iPad, you can get this show on the Stitcher app. Even on the TuneIn app, people ask me, well, I don't have an iPhone. Where can I get it? I believe it's going to be available in the Google Play Store very soon. But in the meantime, you know, if you have a Samsung or a Droid or whatever type of phone you have, just go get a podcast app and search The Danny Picard Show and you can subscribe and get this show whenever you want. But I broadcast every weekday and I will tell you that, you know, if you're asking me what's the best application to get the show on, It really is iTunes or the Stitcher app or the TuneIn app. One of those three. And you can also, if you're on a computer, go to my website, dannypicard.com. So the top story today, as it kind of was yesterday, is Deflategate. And I told you, I told you yesterday, I try to avoid it and ignore the story as much as I could. Because when I recorded yesterday's podcast, we didn't have any details Uh, with regards to what went on in that court hearing. And I think when I was recording yesterday afternoon, there were details that were coming out while I was recording. And I didn't want to sit there and, you know, read all that shit coming in on Twitter without really knowing everything. So I I didn't even open Twitter as I recorded yesterday's podcast. I didn't even open it. I just had it down off to the side And I tried to ignore Deflategate as much as I could. It's back in the news. And we found out what happened yesterday in this courtroom in which these three judges were apparently grilling Tom Brady's side, right? They were grilling uh, Tom Brady's lawyer, Jeffrey Kessler. And basically, they were grilling him about Tom Brady's credibility, like they had questions, serious questions about Tom Brady's credibility yesterday. And uh, again, I'm just reading from people who were in the courtroom. I obviously wasn't there, but you had many reporters that went to New York City that were inside the courtroom that took notes. 
uh, that reported these notes to us after the fact. And I've read I read a lot on this last night, yesterday and last night. And I think the bottom line yesterday was these three judges that were in that courtroom, they questioned Tom Brady's credibility. They went into the whole phone situation, wondering why Brady, uh, you know, destroyed his phone or whatever you want to say how he got rid of that phone, whatever word you want to use to describe that. They were really curious about that. They wanted to know about the phone. And, And when I think about Brady's phone, what I keep coming back to is, you know, I would have got rid of the phone too. And I'm not saying this because I'm a Patriots fan, just because I'm a Patriots fan or I'm from Boston. I mean, I would be saying this about anybody in that situation, especially when you come to find out all of these private emails get released to the public. I mean, we were reading emails from Tom Brady to friends about what he was saying about Peyton Manning and the rest of his career. We, we knew, we found out what color pool cover Tom Brady wanted for his pool at home. We shouldn't be knowing this shit. We shouldn't. And if you thought that was bad, imagine what's on this guy's phone. I mean, I don't know what pictures and videos or other text messages with other people that are not even related to the Flakegate. I don't know what's on that phone, but Tom Brady does. And I think Tom Brady and his legal team, they knew that some of his stuff was going to get out. And they said, look, the emails are in, uh, text messages. If they want to know who you text, guess what? You know, they can look at the other guy's, uh, you know, phones. And you get rid of this thing. And I'm okay with that. I mean, I would have got rid of the phone too. Again, I don't think, you know, what's on Brady's phone, to me, doesn't tell the, the story of the Flategate. And when you get into the credibility issue, that seems to be the biggest issue in this courtroom yesterday with these three judges apparently grilling Tom Brady's team. And it's led a lot of people to believe today that Tom Brady is going to lose this specific battle in this specific courtroom with these specific three judges. And it'll look like the NFL wins, but if you think, if that does happen, and I don't know that it's going to, I really don't. I don't. I mean, we looked at Judge Richard Berman, right? We looked at Judge Berman not too long ago, and the questions that he was asking when he was grilling the NFL, right? He was grilling Daniel Nash, NFL attorney. And uh, we looked at that and said, well, I wonder if that's, if he's basically uh, leaning in the direction of, you know, favoring Tom Brady in this case. And turns out he was. So do we take that mindset of that judge and Judge Berman and bring it into this courtroom and say, well, you know, at least two of these three judges were grilling Tom Brady's side, were grilling Jeffrey Kessler, and they look to be in favor of the NFL. Does that mean they're going to rule in favor of the NFL like, Berman looked to be in favor of Tom Brady and ruled in favor of Tom Brady. Maybe. I mean, maybe we look at it that way. I don't know. But let's say that is the case. And let's say these judges, you know, they can't get over the credibility issue and they're questioning that and they end up saying that the NFL has the right to give this suspension to Tom Brady and let's say they rule in favor of the NFL. You think this is over? Like, do you think Brady's going to actually serve the four-game suspension? Well, I tell you what. Not before the NFLPA and Tom Brady appeals that and we go to an even higher court. This thing isn't ending anytime soon. It's not. So uh, that's why I'm hesitant to go all in back into Deflategate 
and make it this huge story on my end with what I do because I just don't think that yeah we can go back and forth and we can dig into the details of what these three judges were questioning yesterday in this courtroom. But this isn't the beginning of the end. You know, um, it's not. In fact, it might be the beginning of the beginning. <laughs> so we, this isn't going to end anytime soon. And I'm convinced of that, even if these judges rule in favor of the NFL, which according to people in that courtroom yesterday, you know, they leave that courtroom thinking, well, that was not a good day for Tom Brady. They said that was not a good day for his attorney, Jeffrey Kessler. It was not a good day for the NFLPA. It was not a good day for their side. It was a good day, according to these people in the courtroom, it was a good day for the National Football League. And, and But I hear people today talk about this, and this is why, you know, I've told you since day one, whatever happens in these courtrooms, you know, people try to tell us, well, this is going to be about the process and whether or not, you know, the NFL has the right to have this, you know, to give this type of suspension. Goodell's pounding his chest because this is just now a CBA issue it's not about Brady anymore. This is about just Goodell protecting his rights in the CBA to do whatever he wants if he sees uh, the integrity of the game being messed with. And I'm sitting here going, well, wait a minute. It all does come back to the details. It all comes back to the Wells Report. It all comes back to the theories of what happened before that AFC Championship game. And it ultimately all comes back to the air pressure in a football. And so it all comes back to the evidence. And how much you have. It does. And people today are surprised that, th- that these three judges wanted to go back to the evidence. And I'm not. Because if you think about it, you know, the only reason Roger Goodell is still fighting this is because he's trying to protect his rights in the CBA. I get that. But then if you're the judges, you say, well, all right, you, you want to protect your rights. You suspended Tom Brady. Why'd you suspend Tom Brady? And then you have to go into why you suspended him. And then you have to go back to the details. It all comes back to the details. So people who are shocked that these judges are going back into some of this stuff, you know, uh, Tom Brady's phone, why'd he destroy it? Or, uh, you know, Brady's credibility, why, you know, meetings with Jastrzemski, McNally. Of course they're going back into this stuff. I don't know why people are surprised with that. And, and you know, I think we're going to drive ourselves fucking crazy If we sit here on March 4th, 2016, over a year later, and keep going back to those details, we're going to drive ourselves nuts. I mean, is it worth it? Honestly, is it worth it to sit here every day now that these three judges are going back to the details? So I have to go back to the details now? No, I I have made my case with the flake gate, okay? I've made it. You, you want to go back to old podcast and, and go to my theories on what went down and, and how this should have ended, then go back and do it. Are we just going to rehash everything we've done over the last 15 months? Do you really want to do that every single day between now and, and September when the NFL season begins again? I mean, come on. Come on. I, I, I really don't want to do this. But if there's one thing that I'm glad... One of these reporters, or whoever was in this courtroom yesterday, if there's one thing that I'm glad one of these reporters pointed out to us and the public, it's what Michael Hurley of CBS Boston pointed out last night and early this morning. I mean, the kid was up till fucking 4 a.m. writing a story 
on uh, the front steps of a courthouse in New York City. Uh, you know, he was risking being mugged, and he was just out, you know, sitting on the steps with his laptop, with papers everywhere, in the, pit, in the dark, in the pitch black, right? He couldn't even see. He had to get a flashlight on his computer screen. I'm being sarcastic, obviously. <laughs> but Michael Hurley, he's all in on this, and I've had him in, on my show, in my studio, a couple weeks ago. We've talked about all this stuff. We've gone back and forth. But he's been all in on this. And he wrote a story on CBS Boston's website, which you got to read because it's great. Because he goes back to the Ray Rice appeal and how a courtroom and a judge ruled against Roger Goodell because, and the judge was Judge Barbara Jones, and I'm reading this from, again, Michael Hurley's piece on CBS Boston, Judge Barbara Jones ruled that despite Roger Goodell's insistence that Ray Rice was not forthright and honest in his meeting with the commissioner about what took place inside that casino elevator, Rice indeed had been truthful when discussing the incident with Goodell. So the judge ruled that basically Roger Goodell was lying about what Ray Rice told him. Roger Goodell was lying about what he actually knew uh, based on what Ray Rice told him. And when it comes to Roger Goodell and the NFL lying about a very serious situation and an investigation and a punishment and an appeal, whatever you, whatever you want to call it, when it comes to them lying, apparently the NFL's still doing it. And Michael Hurley wrote this in his piece on CBS Boston because yesterday in this courtroom, Paul Clement, okay, he basically told a lie. And the three judges in this courtroom who, who kept interrupting the attorneys all day long, apparently. They just wouldn't even let them make two full sentences without interrupting with questions. If they had questions about credibility or facts or evidence, they would be very quick to interrupt and, and step in. And um, they did not step in with Paul Clement on his lie. And the NFL's lie was this, that Tom Brady and John Jastrzemski, Okay, when Jastrzemski was getting phone calls and had meetings with Tom Brady, uh, Tom Brady, his testimony said that they actually talked about the Deflategate scandal. That's what Tom Brady, uh, that's what his testimony said. He said, we talked about a couple things. We talked about, okay, this was, uh, you know, a Super Bowl game. And here's how we're going to handle this. But also, with these allegations that were out there, Tom Brady wanted to talk to Jastrzemski. And they talked about those allegations and what they were being accused of doing. And they were talking, according to Tom Brady, about what happened. About what they were being accused of. They were talking about the deflate gate scandal. Tom Brady admitted to that. He admitted they were talking about it. Yet, Roger Goodell and the NFL even via Paul Clement, their attorney, the LeBron James of appeals attorneys, yesterday, two of these three judges came out and said, Tom Brady, when he met with Jastrzemski, they only talked about the Super Bowl and the balls and the preparation of the balls for the Super Bowl, that they did not talk about the deflate gate scandal. 
And basically, that's a lie, right? Because Tom Brady admitted in his testimony when that stuff was released that they did talk about that. So that's a... that. Paul Clement literally is lying to the, these three judges, and these three judges, at least from what we think, based on how they acted all day long, based on what I'm hearing from people in the courtroom, these three judges did not catch him in a lie, and they actually believed him. So these three judges right now who are questioning Tom Brady's credibility, they're sitting there listening to Paul Clement saying, well, you know, when Brady and Jastrzemski got together and had a meeting before the Super Bowl when Brady says that they only talked about preparing the footballs for the Super Bowl. Basically, the commissioner found that simply to not be a credible explanation as to why they met, which comes back to Brady not being uh, very credible and not being a credible witness. And it goes back to the phone as well. You know, and that's what, that's what Clement said. But yet when he says it, it's a lie. And the judges, it looks like, accepted that lie to be truth. That Tom Brady, his credibility, his meeting with Jastrzemski was only about the balls leading up to the Super Bowl. That that's what Brady said. In fact, Brady came out and said, no, 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 we talked about the deflate gate issue. We, we discussed that. But yet, the NFL's lying about it. So, uh, that's just one thing. I, I mean, again, I, <laughs> we're, we're talking about the air pressure in a football, folks. And I can't stress that enough, especially when we get back to Brady's phone and when they keep wanting to talk about Brady, whether or not he's a credible witness and what happened to the phone and why he wouldn't show it. I'm sure Brady's got some shit in that phone and had some shit in that phone that he doesn't want anybody seeing. And he knew that that phone would be released to the public, much like his emails were. And to be honest, over the air pressure of a football, there is no reason for that phone to be available to anybody. So, you know what? Just get rid of it. I, honestly, it's the air pressure in a football. Let's not make it sound like Tom Brady's hiding the evidence to a potential murder that he committed. Like, that's how they're reacting to this. This isn't a phone after a murder that you're looking for. This is a phone that you're looking for after you think that somebody was... It was more probable than not that he was at least generally aware of some air being taken out of a fucking football before a football game. It just doesn't make any sense. So, um, bottom line is this. We're all getting worked up about the Flategate now. It's over a year later. And just because you think that these three judges were going against Tom Brady and are going to favor the NFL, let's say the NFL wins. One, it doesn't mean Brady's guilty, okay, because you already had a judge that took the suspension away. Two, it's not like Tom Brady's going to serve this suspension. They're just going to appeal again. It's going to last even longer. And uh, this thing's going to keep going back and forth, I think. I think it's going to keep going back and forth. And fourth, because I think what we're going to run into here, as we go into all these different courtrooms, we're going to run into so many different judges that do have a bias, that are biased in some way, shape, or form, okay? I mean, nothing has changed, folks. So if one judge is going to rule one way, and then you get into another courtroom, and three judges rule, or two out of three judges rule another way, what's changed since? Nothing. Nothing has changed. So everybody is seeing these situations differently. And, and, and 
when you look at the, when you try to compare the analysis of Deflategate from one news outlet to another news outlet to, to one part of the country to another part of the country, from one podcast to another podcast, it can be completely different as to how people feel about Brady, about Deflategate, about the text messages, about Brady's phone, and, and it's just about the credibility of the witness. It's just, uh, this thing is going to go on and on because every courtroom they're going to go in, they're going to run into judges who have a bias of a different type. And, and, and it's never going to end. I don't think Brady's ever going to serve a suspension. And I think these two sides are just going to keep fighting this un- until the very end, which I don't think is anytime soon. So we're all getting so worked up about the Flategate still. And the takeaway from yesterday is that the judges were favoring the NFL and they were grilling uh, Tom Brady's attorney. And they were questioning Tom Brady and his credibility as a witness or his credibility in general. And all the while, the NFL, as pointed out by Michael Hurley, still was in that courtroom yesterday lying. And you got these judges who basically have accepted the lie. Now, we don't know that for sure yet because they haven't ruled. As far as I know, I don't think they're going to rule anytime soon. But um, we don't know if them favoring the NFL yesterday is actually going to be how they decide. We have no idea. So we would maybe be jumping to conclusions. But if they do decide and rule in the NFL's favor, you think it's over? You think this is over? Come on. Come on. It's not over. This is the dumbest controversy in the history of anything. I used to say sports. It's now the history of all court situations, uh, courtroom hearings, uh, any, anything. Anything that's ever happened that anyone's ever questioned, this is the dumbest thing of all time. It is. It's the air pressure in the football. And you can try to tell me and convince me that this is just about the CBA and the NFL trying to protect uh, their right in the CBA. But when they're trying to protect their right in the CBA, they're trying to protect their right in the CBA because of a punishment that they came down on a player that was too harsh. And it all comes back to why they gave out the punishment, which all comes back to the air pressure in the football, which all comes back to me slamming my head off a fucking wall, sitting here going, why are we still talking about this? Why are we still doing this? Nothing has changed, folks. But yet, even with nothing changing, you got judges that are going to look at it differently. And as long as that's the case, then we're not going to get an official resolution to this anytime soon. We're not. So, We'll move on. Uh, last night, uh, the main event last night was in the NBA, Golden State. They defeated Oklahoma City in Golden State. Uh, Oklahoma City, you watched them the last couple nights. They played back-to-back games, and Golden State just pulled away late. The last two games now for Oklahoma City against the Clippers and against Golden State, you know, two of the, these are some of the top teams in the Western Conference. You know, if this is a preview as to what the playoffs are going to look like when you get into the fourth quarter of big games in the playoffs, I don't know that I'm going to be sitting there putting my money on Oklahoma City. Uh, They just can't seem to figure it out one way or another. And, uh, you know, Westbrook forces up too many stupid shots. Uh, You know, at times, 
Durant. Yeah, I love Durant. I love Durant. But um, even in that game last night, with some of the defense that Oklahoma City plays, and you also got to credit Golden State in their offense. Uh, but I mean, you know, there are times where I'm saying, can Durant? Can he do this on his own? Like, can he? You know, can he take this team on his back and beat a team like Golden State? Given all of Golden State's offensive weapons, I'm not so sure he can. So uh, if you're asking me to put Oklahoma, put my money on Oklahoma City in a playoff series against the Golden State, I mean, or even a San Antonio, maybe even against the Clippers, I tell you what, what I've seen the last couple nights is not a good look from the Thunder. And I know it's not the playoffs yet, but the body language speaks for itself, I feel like, late in these games in the fourth quarter. And the body language is just not good for Oklahoma City the last two nights in big spots against very good teams that they could run into in the postseason. So that was the main event last night. Golden State wins. And um, the another NBA story yesterday, which sort of driving me nuts, because I do defend LeBron James. All right? I, I'm someone that defends LeBron. He is one of the best players in the world. And... and I, Look, I get it that people hate on him because sometimes you roll your eyes, he says things, he does things. I am someone that defends him more than a lot of other people. I do. But the latest situation is just, it's unnecessary and it's stupid and it's something that he should not be doing. Okay, the Cleveland Cavaliers are the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They have their issues. They're still 42-17. and And again, the number one seed in the East. Only two games ahead of Toronto at this point. They have 42 wins. All right. Um, And I still think they're going to be in the NBA Finals. But they obviously, they've had their issues. I mean, you had the story with Kyrie Irving, you know, and people thinking that he wants out of Cleveland. You go back to the Kevin Love stuff. Even though they have 42 wins, they've had their bumps in the road this season, whether it's on the court or off the court. You played Monday night. You beat Indiana after a terrible loss in D.C. to the Wizards. You beat Indiana at home, 196. LeBron had 33 points in that one. And, you know, you get Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday off. You don't play until Friday night at home against the Wizards again, only this time at home in Cleveland. That game is tonight. But you get three days off in between the win against the Pacers and this rematch against the Wizards. If you're LeBron James, for a team that's had bumps in the road, what should you be doing in these three days? Also considering that you're just coming off an all-star break that is over a week long. And I know you, I know LeBron was involved in all-star weekend, so you could say, well, he didn't get as much time off as players who weren't in all-star weekend. All right, that's, that's fair. But you still, after all-star weekend, after that Sunday night basketball game, all-star game, you had... You had most of the next week off for an extended All-Star break that you yourself, LeBron James, pushed for. You pushed the league to give this long, way too long, extended All-Star break. You got your break there. You then come back. You play a couple games. You get three days off. And you decide to go to Miami to work out with Dwayne Wade. It, it, it can't happen, folks. This can't happen. I'm someone who defends LeBron an awful lot. You cannot, in the middle of the season, go down to Miami when you just because you have a couple off days and train with a former teammate with a team that you could meet in the playoffs. 
Like, this is, we're in March, the month of March here, folks. The playoffs begin in less than two months. You know, you can't tell me that that is a good idea. And I don't know who is advising him on this. I mean, if I'm Dwayne Wade and I hear that LeBron, I don't care if he has a house in Miami. You had time to go to Miami. Go to Miami during the All-Star break. Go to Miami in four months. All right? You don't go to Miami when you have two, three nights off in between games. It's just not something you do. And if you do go to Miami, you better not be going to work out with Dwayne Wade. It's stupid. I I don't know. And, And if I'm Dwayne Wade, I'm going, LeBron, don't you think this is a little weird? I mean, should you really be doing this? Someone's going to have a camera. Someone's going to be filming this. Someone's going to see you. They're going to jump to conclusions. And you're going to create a shitstorm that you really don't have to create. And what did he do? He created the shitstorm. And here we are now questioning, should LeBron James have gone to Miami? And, and you know, usually I don't overreact to stuff like this. I, I think let the players do their thing, especially the best players in the world, especially the superstar athletes in the world of sports. They're going to do what they're going to do, and they're going to show up on the court, and they're going to be the best on the court, all right? That's what's going to happen. Other people need to accept that. Just, just the, That's the professional sports world that we live in. But this is so unnecessary. This trip to Miami is the most unnecessary thing from a professional athlete during the season that I've seen in a long time. Like, come on, LeBron. Uh, for someone who defends you an awful lot, this is just downright stupid, okay? It's idiotic. It's moronic that you would think this would be a good idea. It's one thing to go to Miami for a night or two and be home, sit in the backyard, have a couple drinks, you know, go do lounge out, swim in the pool, do what you got to do. Get out of Cleveland in the winter for two days. Fine, you know, for a day. Be my guest. Team got a day off, you don't have practice, be my guest, go to Miami, sit by the pool. Don't be seen working out with Dwayne Wade in Miami. Come on, that's embarrassing. And if I'm a Cavalier fan, I'd be pissed. Now, I get it. LeBron's going to show up tonight, and he'll be the best player in that gym, and he'll put up 40. LeBron will put up 40 tonight against the Wizards. And am I teasing picks? I'll give picks picks before I close it out. Uh, LeBron will put up 40 tonight. And, and maybe... You know, he'll, he'll put a little Band-Aid on uh, the, the wound that, that he created here, all right, by going down to Miami and working out with Dwayne Wade. But it just can't happen. He, he needs to be smarter than that. And, you know, I, if I'm a Cavalier fan, not only would be, I be upset, I'd be somewhat concerned. Like, what's going through LeBron's mind? If he's doing something this stupid, obviously... There's a part of him that doesn't really give a shit as to what people in Cleveland are thinking about him. There's, there's a part of him that doesn't give a shit. And if that's the case, that's a scary mindset. Uh, if you're a Cavalier fan, I, don't, I would not want him having that mindset. I would want him caring about what, what we thought about him, what people in Cleveland thought about him, because, um, you know, you would want, you want him to stay. And you, because he gives you a chance to win a title. He does. What, did the, what happened to the Cavaliers when LeBron left? Exactly. You know, they were getting the number one overall pick every year. 
You want to be in that situation again? Or would you rather have LeBron care about what you think and care about staying in Cleveland and winning a championship there? You want him caring about that. This this shows me that he doesn't really give a shit about what people in Cleveland think because if he did, he probably wouldn't be going to Miami to work out just because they get a day off of practice and they get a couple days off in between games. All right? Um, I, I, I don't understand it. And unless, you know, I've tried to figure out this story and I have not been able to do it. I haven't. I, I, I just, I, I can't figure out why he would think this is a good idea. Uh, you know, am I not getting the timeline correct? Like, is this, are they talking about LeBron went to Miami in the offseason? He has a house there. Why would we be, why would people be fight up about that? No, no, no. This is about right now, during the season, in late February, early March. You're the one seed in the East. <laughs> it, it, it's pretty dumb. It's a dumb move. But it also shows that he doesn't really care what people in Cleveland think. Because I'd like to think that he's smarter than that, where he knows the backlash, he knows the what he's doing, he knows how people are going to respond to this. He must know that, right? He must. And I'm sure Dwayne Wade said, you think this is a good idea? <laughs> right? But uh, that's what's going on in the world of the NBA. In the world of the NHL, The Bruins last night defeated the Blackhawks at the TD Garden. They defeated Chicago. Uh, 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 The type of win I didn't think they were going to get, but you do, let's keep in mind here. And I don't mean to be Debbie Downer, because that is a big win for the Bruins. And and I'm not sitting here telling you that it's not. I mean, they have a tough stretch here. You look at their schedule now. uh, They're at home against Washington, best team in the East. They go to Florida, to Tampa. Then they'll be going on a West Coast trip, San Jose, Anaheim, L.A., and then back to the East Coast against the Rangers. They have a tough schedule here moving forward. That's a big win for the Bruins last night. You need to take that confidence, though, and now turn it into a couple wins in a row. you got to go on a little bit of a roll here against some of the top teams in the league if you want people like me and people in this town and people around the hockey world to take you seriously. I'm not going to say that's, that's not a big win. That is a big win last night, but let's keep in mind. Let's be realistic. Chicago did play the night before. They played, what, in Detroit. They beat Detroit. They looked a little tired in this one last night. Uh, you got some nice plays from the newcomers, John Michael Lyles, Lee Stepniak. I, I've told you, they're good players. Lyles with just some nasty sauce on that feed to Louie, and Louie finished with the little redirection going hard to the net. Stepniak made a couple nice plays in this one. In the neutral zone, especially a couple I can remember. They're good players. I never said they weren't. I never knocked the talent of Lyles and Stepniak. I just told you they aren't the superstar type players that I thought you needed, especially on the defensive end with regards to Lyles. He's not the superstar defenseman right now at 35 years old that you need for this team to get you over the hump. Good win last night, Chicago. Nice game from the newcomers, Lyles and Stepniak. They're good players. I've told you that since day one. I just don't think they're good enough to, to get this team and take them and convince me that they're serious Stanley Cup contenders. But uh, regardless, that was a big one last night for the Bruins. And sticking with the Bruins team, you know, I've been so worked up about this NHL trade deadline and the team's strategy that they had, which has the fingerprints of the owner all over it in Jeremy Jacobs, just trying to get into the playoffs. Not missing the playoffs in two straight years. 
Uh, Cam Neely yesterday, he spoke on 98.5 The Sports Hub, and it's a radio station here in Boston for people who listen and are not in Boston. And uh, he has a segment with them every week, I believe Felger and Maz, right? And Cam Neely yesterday said on that show that the Bruins never received an offer for a first-round pick or even multiple second-rounders. That's what Neely said. And people are coming to me on Twitter, Facebook. They're saying, oh, see what Neely said? They didn't get the first-round pick that you, you said they were offered or, uh, that, that, or that's two second-round picks. They didn't even get that. And my response to that is, Cam Neely is so full of shit it's not even funny. I mean, what do you expect Cam Neely to say? He's taking serious heat. The organization is taking serious heat right now because they kept Louis Erickson and they're going to lose him in free agency. They're not going to be able to bring him back. And they didn't go out and make any major moves to the point where Lyles and Stepniak take him over the top, right? So what do you expect Neely to do? You expect him to sit there and say, yeah, you know what? We did get a first-round pick off it, and we turned it down. No, because that would be a stupid thing to say. I, I, if, if you believe Cam Neely yesterday, look, I love Cam Neely. I, I loved him growing up as a kid. You know, I got this, this poster of him in a Bruins uniform, Nike poster that says, he walks on water, and at the bottom it says, it just so happens to be 32 degrees. I mean, I got that post. I'm a huge Neely fan. I grew up a Neely fan. But right now, in his current position, in his current role, with the job that the organization is doing, and look, I haven't really even come down hard on Neely. I've told you. I don't think he was calling the shots. I think Jeremy Jacobs was calling the shots uh, on the Bruins strategy at this trade deadline. But Neely's coming out right now, and he's trying to explain himself, and he's trying to explain why the organization didn't trade Louis for a first-round pick, and he's trying to explain why the organization also didn't go out and add any type of superstar player, and he's going to tell you everything that you need to hear to convince you that they had a successful trade deadline. He's telling you these things. That doesn't mean it's true. Do you honestly believe that the Bruins, forget about the first-round pick, do you believe the Bruins weren't offered two second-round picks for Louis Erickson? I mean, come on. Eric Stahl trade got them two second-round picks, and he has he had 10 goals this season, the worst season of his career going in. Andrew Ladd's not even having as good a season as Louis Erickson. And, and the Blackhawks gave up a first-round pick and a top prospect in Mako Dano. So don't tell me that the Bruins didn't get a first-round pick or two second-round picks, all right? Cam Neely's full of shit. He's full of shit. So, um... For people to sit there, believe him, and say, oh, wow, the, the good move to keep Louie. That, that's his goal. That is his goal. His goal is to go on that show, tell you, well, they didn't get a first-round pick, second-round pick offer. Even though there's reports that they did and they turned it down, he's telling you everything that, you know, you would want to hear from someone that is looking for an excuse as to why they didn't trade Louie. And he wants you to then go on and say, you know what? They did the right thing. <laughs> and if you want to take that bait, go ahead. But I'm sitting here, and I'm certainly not going to. And I'm going to listen to that audio, and I'm going to see those quotes, and I'm going to say Cam Neely's full of shit. The Bruins are full of shit. Jeremy Jacobs was calling the shots. If you can't see that, 
I mean, there are people who have who are in the know, who have great sources, who have reported that the Bruins were in fact offered by multiple teams first round pick. Okay, Th- those reports are out there, and he's denying it. He said we weren't offered a first round pick or even two second rounders. He should have stopped at the first round pick. Then to come up to continue and say we weren't even offered two second rounders. All right, sounds good. Louis Erickson's having a heck of a year. I do think there's teams interested in him, and there were teams interested in him, and uh, they could have made that move. And, and you know what? It's just that his comments yesterday, once again, it comes back and reminds me to the Bruins of old, where they're going to do something that doesn't look good, that is for the money, to get butts in the seats, uh, to get another playoff series, and they're going to talk to the public and talk to us like we're idiots. I mean, honestly, Neely, does he think we're stupid? Look at, uh, we know the trade market. We know what was out there. We And we know it's been reported. So, uh, I don't believe Neely. And the Bruins, look, at some point we got to stop hopping on the trade deadline. I, I, I'll admit to that. We got to move on. This is the team. This is the Bruins team they have. This is the team they're going to have moving forward the rest of the season. Uh, they're going to win or lose with this team. They're going to live or die with this group. And um, now it's just play hockey. You got a big win last night. We got to move on from the trade deadline. But we couldn't move on until Neely got his two cents on what was, according to him, offered to the team for Louis Erickson. And my response to his comments, uh, he is full of shit. Okay? So, uh, that's what we got going on here in the world of the NHL. And I know I teased yesterday that my picks this weekend would maybe be NHL picks, but I'm not. The NBA's been crushing me with my picks. And I think I went 2-3 and three last week, another week under 500. Since the NFL has ended, I've been bad with my NBA picks. But I'm going to stick with NBA because there's a lot of games tonight, and I give you five games with the spread every single Friday. It's a segment we call Picks Picks. Hit the music, and it's because it is music that I think this is the reason I stick with the NBA because I just love the NBA on NBC theme. And uh, I'm going to begin here with Atlanta. The Atlanta Hawks, a nine-point favorite over the Lakers. This game is in L.A. Uh, You know, you see the Lakers play. You see that they are clearly, clearly in a race to get the number one pick overall. They have done some things with their roster during games uh, to let you know that they're tanking, to let you know that they're trying to lose. I mean, you a couple nights ago, D'Angelo Russell, what do you have, 40 points, 39 points? This is somebody that you should be asking to take over the game, and yet there are times that you've benched D'Angelo Russell because he tried to take over the game. It doesn't make any sense to me. You should want him to try and take over the game, and that would help you win, give you a better chance to win. But clearly, the Lakers don't want to win. They're at home. The Lakers are a nine-point dog. I think the Atlanta Hawks go into L.A., and I think they find a way to win this game. And I think, look, the Hawks... You look at the standings in the Eastern Conference. Atlanta's the five seed right now. Uh, they are four and six in their last ten. 
and they're a 33-win team. The Lakers only have 12 wins. I just look at the Hawks. You know, you, the NBA's a league in which you can look at the rosters and you can compare them. And when you put Atlanta's roster up to the Lakers' roster, and I'm going to take the Hawks' roster any day of the week. They're in L.A. I look at the Lakers' mindset this season. There's no way I could take the Lakers to win this game. So you get into a, a matter of points. I'm going to go with the Hawks, minus nine. Just a hunch that I have in this one. I think the, the Hawks win it, uh, and I'll take the minus nine. Then we go to the Grizzlies over Utah. I'm going to take Memphis as a one-point favorite in this one. This game is in Memphis. Uh, if the playoffs began today, the Memphis Grizzlies would be the five seed in the West. The Utah Jazz would be on the outside looking in just barely. They are a game and a half behind the eight seed Houston Rockets. The Jazz, a 28 and 32 record. The Grizzlies, 36 and 24 on the season. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the Grizz. I think the Grizz, they've won two straight now. I think they win this one at home against a Utah team that they should be able to take care of. It's a one point spread. I'm gonna take Memphis minus one. Then I'm gonna go, I sort of tease this. I'm gonna go with the Cavaliers. Cavaliers are a seven and a half point favorite over the Washington Wizards. This one's in Cleveland. You know, you look at the fact that Cleveland, not too long ago, just um, last week, they lost to the Wizards on Sunday in D.C., 113-99. They had lost in Toronto, then they lost in D.C. They had just returned and beat Indiana on Monday. They've had a couple days off. Even though LeBron went down to Miami, he's taking some heat right now. But I think he, if there's anybody that can turn that into a 40-point night and a win at home and make fans forget about his trip to Miami, it's LeBron James. And that's what he's going to do, a 40-point night for LeBron. The Cavaliers are 7.5-point favorites. I, I'm going to say they roll over the Wizards in this one. The Cavaliers minus 7.5. Then you got the Knicks. A 10-point dog here at the TD Garden against my Boston Celtics. I think the Celtics win it, but I think this could be a game in which the Celtics go up big and the Knicks hit a couple pointless shots late. You know, Melo takes a couple big threes late and cuts it down to four. Then they foul. Celtics make a couple shots. Celtics win by about eight, which means I think the Knicks will cover. Again, Celtics win, but I'll take the points. Knicks plus 10 over the season and last but not least I'm going with the Miami Heat a nine and a half point favorite over the 76ers this game is in Philly you know how bad Philly is look I'll be rooting I'll be rooting for the 76ers uh, to win this one we need them to win they only have eight wins they're the worst team in the NBA because here in Boston we got our eye on that Brooklyn Nets pick Brooklyn has 17 wins they're never going to catch up to each other. But uh, Philly, I hope they win. I don't think they will. And Miami as a 9.5-point favorite right now. The Heat, they're in a race to try and get that three-seed. The Heat have 35 wins on the season. They're 35-26. and 26. They have won three straight. They're 6-4 in their last 10. I think they go into Philly, and I think they take care of business easily. The Heat minus 9.5. So there you go. Atlanta minus 9. Memphis minus one, Cleveland minus seven and a half, New York Knicks plus 10, Miami 
minus nine and a half. I give you picks, picks every Friday. Five games with the spread. I'm here five days a week. Again, subscribe at dannypicard.com. You can also get it on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, anywhere podcasts are available. Follow me on Twitter at Danny Picard. Like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Danny Picard Show. And uh, don't forget, Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery. Go to beantownathletics.com right now. That's beantownathletics.com or give them a call at 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. We're getting close to the springtime, summertime, which means softball, your local softball leagues right around the corner. And if you need a softball uniform, there's only one place you should be going to get that uniform done. It's Beantown Athletics. What do you do? You go out with your friends. You get some money from a local restaurant or a bar or an establishment. What do you do with that money? You put them towards custom uniforms, right? Well, don't just play good. Look good doing it. In fact, look great doing it and get your uniforms done. Take that money. Go to Beantown Athletics. They can come up with a design for you. The example I'll give is this. The logo of my show on my website, dannypicard.com, or even when you go to my show anywhere on these podcast apps on iTunes, the Danny Picard Show logo, that sort of boss-style lamp, right, that neon fluorescent sign, that's, we actually, yes, we have that sign in the studio, but Beantown Athletics created that sign from scratch on a computer screen, and they sent that design in to the neon sign place, and we got that sign created based on what Beantown Athletics made. They drew that sign up themselves. So that just gives you a vibe as to how good they are at coming up and creating something like that. They can create a logo for you, a design, a jersey, you name it. Again, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery, Beantown Athletics, the website, beantownathletics.com, and the phone number one more time, 617 282 4181. That's 617 282 4181. I am on WEEI this weekend only tomorrow, Saturday, I believe, 4 to 7 or 4 to 7 30. And then nothing on Sunday. Uh, I'll be back in my Beantown Athletic Studio on Monday. We'll break down everything that happens over the weekend. You know, you got the WGC Cadillac Golf Championships at Doral. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, all the NBA games, all the NHL games, and, of course, we'll keep an eye on Deflategate and anything else that comes out of that. And, we, you look, we'll talk NFL free agency. I'm not going to avoid it. In fact, I did some NFL free agency stuff yesterday, so I don't just ignore the NFL completely. And how can I not mention spring training? We'll keep an eye on that as all these teams start playing some, uh, I say, meaningful spring training games, but as to how meaningful they are, I, I guess meaningful is a strong word, but more meaningful than what we were talking about two weeks ago when they were just playing catch down there. You know, fungo, catch, PFP. We actually get some games, so there is some meaning to it with regards to looking at certain players and some of the younger kids and seeing what they can do because a lot of these younger kids do have something to prove, and when we look at the Red Sox, I don't know that I so much look at Hanley and Pablo during these games. You know, at some point, we got to let them play out spring training and get to the regular season. But I think I'm going to be looking at 
more along the lines of some of the young kids in this Red Sox pitching staff, Henry Owens, Brian Johnson, and even when it comes to the young catcher and Christian Vasquez, how is he improving now uh, coming off Tommy John surgery last March? He's throwing a bases, says he feels great. I think he's going to be this team's number one go-to catcher when he is completely healthy, but it's good to keep an eye on someone like that and some of these other younger kids. And of course, Eduardo Rodriguez. You know, he is still one of these younger kids, as good as he was at times last year when he came up. He still didn't pitch an entire major league regular season. So uh, keep an eye on him, maybe an innings limit that's going to be put into place for him this season. And he is dealing with a knee injury now, which is somewhat concerning to me. And my advice to the Red Sox would be take it easy with Eduardo Rodriguez because I do believe when you look at the talent in this Red Sox rotation, as young as Eduardo Rodriguez may be, as inexperienced as he may be with regards to never pitching a full, complete Major League season, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez still, to me, when you when you just look at the talent and the stuff in the toolbox and what he has to offer, his power stuff, I think Eddie Rodriguez is the second-best pitcher in this rotation right behind David Price, and I think they need to treat him as such. So my advice would be to take it easy with him. If his knee is a little banged up right now, there is no need to come out and rush what y'all doing right now with Eduardo Rodriguez. So again, I'm here five days a week. I'm on WEEI tomorrow, back with this podcast on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Talk to you soon.